Hi, welcome to another episode of the Visual Storytelling Today podcast. The show is designed for you, the marketer or entrepreneur, who may be looking for more effective ways to connect better with audiences through the exciting world of visual storytelling. We will introduce you to inspiring experts from diverse industries that bring fresh perspectives on how to capture attention, build trust, emotional empathy, and last but not least, drive business results. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Shlomi Ron. I'm the CEO of the Visual Storytelling Institute based here in Miami, Florida. And welcome to another episode of the Visual Storytelling Today podcast. Well, today I'm kind of really excited about the topic. Uh, one thing I haven't told you, uh, I'm a great uh, fan of uh, cooking. I'm actually the chef in my house. And I also like to go to restaurants. In fact, you know, the background behind me is actually one of my favorite hangouts uh, in Miami. You know, it's actually a great empanada place. So just figured it makes sense. And, you know, even though we all kind of were under lockdown during the past year, you know, I was also one of those people that got swept away with the bread baking fad and started doing that. So all this got me to think about, you know, the role of food and storytelling and how visuals can play a role in really bringing to life things that sometimes it's hard to articulate like flavors and, you know, some backstories of the chefs and, and so much more. So the topic for today is really what is food storytelling? And to help us say, unpack this exciting topic, I'm super excited to have Shizu Roche Adapti. She's director of communications and narrative design at Real Food, Real Stories. Great company I just came across based on in San Francisco. And they're really making a fantastic movement over there by connecting food and stories to change culture. So with that, welcome to the show, Shizu. Thank you so much for having me, excited to be here. Excellent. All right, so we're gonna start our journey by just kind of going back, if you can rewind your personal story, how you got started in food storytelling, what was that magic moment that made you decide to go that in this direction? Yeah, my, my journey with food and storytelling is uh, pretty lifelong um, in that I've, I've, I've always been a, a lover of food. I was always in the kitchen with, with my mom and my family and food was, and story was so much at the heart of that relationship. You know, my, my grandmother was a food writer. Mm -hmm. And um, so thinking about the stories behind ingredients behind family recipes um, behind my relationship was really core but but really that turned into a professional interest um, I went to I graduated from Yale University and I, I concentrated in food and agriculture there but really looked at rural sociology and so that was a very academic way mm -hmm. of of thinking yeah. about your relationship to story and food to think about the narratives of where our food came from and how those defined um, yeah, the, the people who were making them. And, and I really was in this direction of from the, the production end of it. So I worked on a number of farms and ranches and huh. um, raised sheep and cattle myself actually for, wow. for two years. And um, I just, part of really what nourished me in that experience is you're not getting paid a lot. <laughs> it's yeah. not, you know, you don't go into uh, raising sheep or cattle for the money. I'll tell you that. Um, 
But I was really drawn to those communities because of the stories that were wrapped up in mm-hmm. um, folks' relationship to the food that they were growing. And actually back in college, um, while I was doing sort of my, my very academic orientation, I also picked up freelance radio producing. And I did a um, series of, of radio stories that sort of journaled my 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 stories of my summer in food. It was on Heritage Radio Network. Right. And um, that was the first time that I was really exercising that muscle of bringing the stories that I heard, you know, weeding across a, a bed um, in the gardens or in a farm um, or riding horseback and interviewing, mm-hmm. you know, the lead cowboy and brought that to the public and felt like that was such um, an important experience of, of intimacy that people didn't have sure. because yeah. there, there's not that outlet, you know, other, unless you're actually there on the fields, you're not going to be hearing those stories. Um, and so, like I said, I went into the sort of food production side of things and, um, you know, ended up uh, stepping away from that and, and most recently was working actually as a brand strategist for mission-driven companies in the food and beverage sector. Um, that pays the bills uh, yep. better, better than farming. <laughs> um, and it was interesting because it, it was a shift, but at the same time, it was all a continuum. It was still wrapped up in telling the best, most compelling stories about um, food and beverage and the people that make all of that possible so that we really understand that we're part of this network of relationships and that food is not just a consumptive practice, it is a creative practice. Um, and you are in relationship with so many people um, when you sit down at the table. No, definitely, yeah. I think you touched on so many things. You know, the first one that uh, come to mind is obviously, uh, we actually share the same uh, background. I also did my bachelor's in sociology and anthropology. <laughs> mm. uh, and so I definitely can relate to that. Uh, also did a, a thesis around, you know, different uh, restaurants and how they communicate their visual stories in terms of the uh, space. Uh, the other part you mentioned also, which is very so true is uh, the fact that stories are definitely, in my mind, really playing the role of uh, bringing the why, because there's so many competition out there, especially in the food space. And if you, are connected to the why story behind a specific product, you know, the growers, the, you know, the ingredients, there are better chances for the audience to really see themselves in that story and develop loyalty. So the role yeah. of stories is incredible. Yeah. And I think there's um, an inclination, I think, to underestimate our audience's curiosity. You know, anyone who's worked in marketing knows that we're that's sort right. of like drilled into you is you have this tiny little window of time to make an impact yeah. with, you know, a consumer and, or, or an audience. And I think that's true. We have limited opportunities, um, but it's how you use that opportunity. And sometimes presenting the beginning of an answer or a question is so much more compelling than just trying to compress all that you're trying to communicate into, you know, a, a 10 second experience. Right. It's, it's giving those, you know, people that iceberg experience that they see the 10% and they know there's 90% under the water and they lean Great in trigger. and yeah, exactly. And that's, mm-hmm. and I think that is, that is so much at the heart of it is this idea of that, like, just because people are, are super saturated doesn't mean that they're not curious um, to connect more deeply. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why we see in many uh, packaged goods, you know, 
my granola bag every morning, you know, with my oatmeal, you know, I always see that uh, short story of, you know, behind, you know, the, the brand. And it's interesting. And you see these little stories, you know, slapped on packages uh, of variety of things that really want to create this emotional bond, you know, that you're not just buying the granola because everything is about, I think you tell me, entrenching this deeper meaning that I'm not just buying this granola and I'm forgetting about it. I'm actually by buying this, I'm, maybe there's a charity behind it. Maybe there's some a higher purpose behind it. It's much more than just the, the actual product. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I work in the nonprofit space. And so for us, our, our aim is not just to change, to change consumptive habits, but really to activate people as agents in larger cultural change. Right. But a lot of, you know, the baseline for people is that first experience of thinking that, oh, consumption is an active agency, that I can you know, by the choices I make, by the brands I buy or don't support or the questions that I ask of my brands, um, I can be more informed and a more engaged food citizen. And Absolutely. I can contribute to this, you know, um, yeah, to a, to a deeper impact. And I think, you know, there's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like uh, as soon as you have a market that is primed for storytelling, mm -hmm. you're going to have the equivalent in the food space as you had in the eco space of greenwashing, you know? Yeah. So I, so there's definitely a, a real risk there of, of lacking authenticity or that like teeth. Um, but I am glad to see that overall the trend is about, you know, questioning sort of the industrialization of food that really yeah. dehumanized it and, and made people feel like they were just these discrete objects and, and recognizing that even if your food feels unrecognizable to something grown in a field, yeah. there is some connection there. Absolutely. And, and yeah. that's part of the work. Yeah, no, that's so true. So to kind of help our audience uh, to kind of uh, get uh, deeper into our uh, topic of food storytelling, let's say, uh, kind of level set uh, the definition of our chat. So a question I ask all my guests is uh, how you, would you define visual storytelling? Yeah, so I think, you know, the storytelling bit of that is, is key because I think a lot of people might think of visual storytelling as just visual representation mm -hmm. and it's a very different thing. You know, storytelling, like I said earlier, is about um, creating experience that makes someone lean in. And so visual storytelling to me is, is a really poetic balance of providing um, enough information, but not too much, mm -hmm. that sets up some sort of narrative experience for your audience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the power of suggestion is so power, is, is critical, yeah. um, I think, in, in visual storytelling. So, you know, from our perspective at Real Food, Real Stories, you know, we, we started um, with just live storytelling experiences, like, you know, in someone's living room. And that's very much about a one-on-one -on -one intimate experience. And as we've grown, and especially in terms of, um, you know, our, our social and digital platforms, thinking about how we translate this really intimate experience of um, belonging and the reciprocity of the storytelling space has yeah. meant that we've had to think about how to translate that intimacy, that deeper connection and those, you know, longer narrative arcs into visual representations of our, of our work and our storytellers. 
Yeah, I really liked how you put uh, the poetic uh, connection between uh, visual and storytelling and how uh, you allude to the power of suggestion that it's really, you don't want to give out the full story and you want to give some people room to complete the story in their mind, which is makes, you know, the content much more interesting. And so, so that brings me to the next question, you know, now that we explore the wider realm of visual storytelling, when we kind of zero in on food storytelling, what would be your definition? Well, you know, I think storytelling is an ancient practice, right? It is embedded in, yeah. um, the work of, of uh, culture building and connection for indigenous communities and for, it, it, is, it is the way that we have always sort of taught um, our lineages, who we, who we are and where we come from. And that's, you know, a, a pretty, that has always frankly been tied up in food. You know, food is mm -hmm. such a critical part of who we are individually, but more important as, as a collective. Um, and so when you think about food storytelling, for me, it's not just about um, visual representation that you see in Instagram right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't con consider, frankly, a, a snapshot of your meal on Instagram as, you know, real food storytelling. That is, you know, that that is a, a great image that can be food storytelling if um, there is that context brought in. But storytelling is is a practice, I think, to really... Um, revere in that there is a sense of reciprocity in it. Like it is not just something, exactly. It's not something that just washes over the audience. Like when storytelling is really done and practiced well, um, it is, it is met, you know, there's, there's two people, you know, it takes two to tango in that you're, you're providing content or story. Um, and the person who's experiencing it is offering you their presence and their engagement. And like you said, they're, you're not giving it all away. They're they're leaning in and participating in it. So it's the I campfire think, experience in a way. Exactly. And so food storytelling to me for that reason, um, it isn't just about representation. It can be, you know, the farm to table story became very popular. That was like a yep. very trendy explosion of what food storytelling meant, um, which is a, a critical part of it. But also food storytelling is about um, reviving foodways and, and telling the stories of, you know, your community and your neighborhood. Um, it's about telling the story of family recipes. It's yep. about telling the story of larger social inequities in our world in terms of, you know, thinking about food sovereignty and food insecurity, like storytelling um, is so meaty in that way that when you talk about food storytelling, it is cultural, it is social, it is political. Um, it is, one, yeah. one it's, you know, it's all of it. Yeah, <laughs> one, one example that comes to mind, I wonder if you could consider the food storytelling, even its atomic base uh, shape, it's a recipe because yep. you have the ingredients, you have the instruction, you have the visual sometimes. And typically, you know, the writer starts uh, the recipe with the backstory, how they received the recipe from their grandma, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's an evolution that you've seen in, you know, food storytelling in the, the cookbook space, for sure. Like, if you go back and you look at a lot of the cookbooks mm -hmm. um, that folks were cooking from that were sort of like, let's take, for example, like, Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking. A lot of the actual recipe, you know, it's, it's a, um, a, you know, just this compendium, a, a ton of recipes not a lot of necessarily like story around that. Of course, right. that that has it's a new since, addition in the 
This yeah. Well, and I, th- and I think it's because people are valuing that more. And so they're yeah. asking for it. Um, yeah. and, and it became a critical part. I mean, I've always loved that part of cookbooks and, and actually, you know, it's in, in the mainstream now, but if you think about those community cookbooks that mm-hmm. a lot of church groups would have, it's a kind of long form right. American tradition, these community yeah. cookbooks where, you know, housewives, um, would contribute, a, a recipe, give a little blurb about where it came from and, and share that straight from the heart. And I think um, it's, it's been fun to see, uh, especially in our work, you know, we, we work to uplift and um, create platforms for food change makers to share their story. And those maybe, food change maybe it's makers- Maybe a good segue is to kind of introduce uh, real food real stories and tell us what is the mission and the different programs you lead. Sure, sure. So I was just to, to end that thought, it was, um, just that like food change makers having the experience of knowing that they're here, not just to teach us how to eat and cook, but to, to share who they are and how they got to that. And the mission yep. of real food, real stories is to grow more connected, resilient, and just food mm-hmm. sheds or food communities. Um, that term food shed comes from watershed, which is, you know, basically the idea of geographically uh, demarcating where you know, the rain falls and, and feeds a, a particular geographic area. And similarly, food shed is a way of mapping your mm. food community. Um, when that term was first uh, introduced in kind of the academic space, it was about specifically being like, okay, where do I get my tomatoes from? Where do I get my potatoes from? Put those dots on a map and I craft my food shed. Obviously now our food comes from nearby, comes from very far away. And we also think of, because we think of food storytelling as about not just where are my resources coming from and where are they going to, it's about who defines food culture. Um, We define food shed as the mapping of all of our relationships to food. So it's a little bit more of a um, abstract, creative approach to that. Um, But really, you know, for Real Food, Real Stories, our programming um, started, you know, the, the nonprofit started in 2015 with our founder, Peru Ko, who suffered from um, a, a health issue, basically, which made her extremely sensitive to a number of foods. Mm-hmm. And in her process of healing herself, she struck up these really beautiful relationships with a lot of the farmers and food makers who had helped her on that journey. And the first Real Food, Real Stories storytelling gathering just happened in Peru's living room oh, as wow. a way to... Yeah, as a way to thank all of these people, um, you know, giving a space for them to share their stories and to feel her gratitude and the gratitude of the community that they nourished. And so we really started from that place of like, how incredible of an experience is it to really recognize that you are in community with your food community and to honor those contributions and and to give a platform to people who are growing, producing, Mm -hmm. cooking food, especially people who typically aren't given those platforms. So BIPOC, queer people um, who have often been excluded from those narratives of food. So we have... Since then, you know, Real Food, Real Stories has um, expanded significantly. Um, We now do facilitation trainings to support people um, looking to facilitate storytelling. Uh, We continue to have our our gatherings. Now we have seasonal storytelling gatherings, an annual story slam fundraiser, um, and we're continuing to to develop more and more programmings. We also have, um, of course, our, our social media and our podcast as well, and, you know, we really started in a 
food and community advocacy space mm -hmm. and have fleshed out to to start to reach more into the media arts space, which I think is um, great to be on this call with you because yeah. I think thinking about visual storytelling was not how we entered into this work, but is certainly integral to how we're continuing. No, absolutely. I really like what you said about uh, the food shed. It's, it's almost like a ecosystem of uh, different uh, storytellers that are part of this uh, long food chains that bring the food from the field all the way to table of consumers. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, how you, what is the process you're going through in creating those visual storytelling programs around those different characters uh, along this, you know, chain of, you know, cause and effect? <laughs> yeah, and I think um, part of that is also we're using visual storytelling to, to shift from the narrative of the food chain to these food webs and this idea of like, mm. okay, how do we, um, you know, both through visual representation um, and otherwise, you know, audio representation, so on and so forth, um, you know, make real to uh, every person who eats food, um, not just where their food comes from, but how they experience that food. So, so partnering with visual artists and seeing them as part of our food shed um, has, is, has become a key part of that for us. So this idea that um, visual artists, culture makers, um, taste makers are part of our food ecosystem. They, you know, not only do they set trends for us, um, but they kind of create sometimes the visual containers for the work that, that we do. And so um, a couple examples is, you know, most recently we had our end of year um, fundraising campaign, which we actually donated this year, all of those efforts to our food community. So that funded our resilience fund, which provides micro grants to wow. uh, food workers and change makers impacted by the pandemic and California wildfires. And we partnered with a local artist, Yuri Choi, um, to help make that sense of community and reciprocity and action um, present for our audience. And we really wanted to work with her, not just to like tell her like, this is a commission, this is, this is every bit of it, but to really bring part of her perspective um, to the table. And similarly with our story slam, we've worked with um, an artist, Dina Hashim, um, who in designing you know, one asset, which is the, the poster for this year's story slam, uh, I really asked her to think about you know, the, the theme this year is recipes for resilience and what that meant to her. Yeah. And, um, you know, she brought a lot of herself into illustrating that and thinking about, okay, how do we go beyond an illustration of like communicating, this is a night about food and story and make the visual a story in and of itself. Yeah. And I know you have a few examples of those uh, visual arts uh, from those artists. Maybe you can share them now just to kind of uh, give more context. Sure, sure. So I'll start it off actually with um, the trailer video. Um, I've muted it. I'm going to uh, talk over it. But you'll see this is some of the work represented here is from Dina Hashim. Um, we use this trailer as a way to communicate uh, for our audience um, about Story Slam for the first year ever. It's going to be a virtual gathering. And so we needed to up our game um, in bringing our audience. And this allowed us to incorporate clips like you're seeing here of previous yeah. story slam storytellers 
um, integrate that with some of the, the visual work that um, Dina had produced. It's like um, TED and, for food storytelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it, you know, people like to think of us as sort of the moth, the moth for, yeah. for storytelling and sure. events. And, and I think we're the moth, but with sort of like this larger agenda. Um, it's sort of like for what aim? And that is you know, for a more connected food shed. And, and the visuals you're seeing here actually mm -hmm. um, were from, um, a lot of them come from previous storytellers. We asked them to show representations of resilience in food from this challenging year oh, and created fantastic. sort of this visual collage and audio from some of our alums. And um, this is a great way to have crowdsourced uh, visual Absolutely. Um, narrative work. Um, and I think, and, and I think that's such a key part of it is that it feels creative, collaborative, and engaging. Um, yeah. Anytime you do, you know, user-generated content, you know, people feel they have a skin in the game, you know, they can see their art, they have some bragging rights, they have more reason to share the content. So it's all exactly, good stuff. Exactly. And the other example I was going to share, um, let me just pull it up here, is... Uh, from, this was just sort of our wrap-up post after our fall season, mm -hmm. um, which was dedicated to celebrating indigenous foodways. And so who you see here represented is uh, Crystal Apepa, um, Burrell Jones of Tolone Lake Enterprises, and uh, Karina Gold of Segorate Land Trust. Crystal, I forgot to mention, is a, is a chef. Mm -hmm. And part of our season is we have, you know, our... Um, our live storytelling events with, with each of these individuals. But we also like to set up these experiences for our audience to create a little context. And a large part of how we do that is through our social media, um, through things like, uh, you know, graphic designed quotes that sort of spark um, yeah. questions, prompts that we sort of position. So, so to seed some of those questions that when folks come to the actual storytelling gathering, um, they're already having these like questions and ideas pop, you know, percolating for them and, and it, and they feel sort of alive and engaged That's a um, so that they really, can really do their yeah. part. They get to know the people, at least uh, in the social media realm, and then it's much easier to interact uh, at the event. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, and, I think in general, you know, storyteller, perspective is so critical uh, to storytelling in general, especially, you know, with the example you just uh, showed is the fact that people really want to see that people like them in featured stories, and it makes your content much more relatable. And I think what you've, you're doing, you know, with bringing different uh, perspective from storytellers from different cultures, different uh, part of the society, it's really really tremendous it's fantastic to see thank you yeah i think i think you know this year's um celebrating indigenous foodways and this summer um listening to black voices and food really resonated with our audiences because uh one it was you know we we'd planned these ahead of time but ended up being obviously very responsive to the moment particularly listening to black leaders and food um, that that lining up with this summer's uprisings. And I think thinking about, okay, all this is happening around me. How, what is the perspective on this through the lens of food? What is the perspective, you know, all these things are connected and um, thinking about celebrating indigenous foodways, you know, a, a lot of people don't have not, not 
they don't, they definitely don't have visual storytelling or storytelling representations accessible to them around indigenous foodways often, um, but they don't even have visual representations. So, you know, the work of uh, colonization has, yeah. has really erased, um, uh, erased and, and our understanding of indigenous foodways through the genocide of indigenous peoples. And, and I think like it is a powerful experience to realize that being present to engaging with that story um, is a radical act. It's not just about education. It is about activation. It is about um, helping to shift the balance of narrative power because storytelling is power. You yeah. know, anyone, any one of us who have engaged that realize how powerful a good story or a bad story can be. Absolutely, we, we see it every day. So stories are really great tools for making change. And I think, you know, the fact that you are making these stories of uh, tribal communities, their culinary cultures uh, more accessible to more people, for me, it was really new. I mean, because I never had a chance to read about it or know what are the you know the staple food for example <laughs> so this is a fantastic opportunity to get this uh, word out to more people and the way you kind of combine the visuals you know you see the people you hear their stories and you maybe in future <laughs> events you could actually taste their uh, food it's fantastic because you know when you think about visual storytelling mm -hmm. typically when you communicate as a communicator you know that that in order to kind of inspire the senses of people around food, you're really limited to, you know, we say we eat with our eyes sometimes. So there's yep. the eye, the sight, uh, you're missing the smell, <laughs> you're missing the taste, which are the, the core uh, two senses uh, for enjoying food, right? So how can you really bring the excitement around food where you have only, you know, the, the spoken word and the visual? Yeah, I, I think that's the question of how do you make your story juicy? You know, yeah, how, exactly. how, how do you make people um, have have that have that full sensory um, excitement? And I think, you know, one thing we're doing this year for our story slam is mm -hmm. uh, we've invited a graphic recorder to join us um, because not only was this about, okay, we're, we're having this event that normally is in person. Normally we're gathering around food in a beautiful space. We're seeing each other face to face. Um, like not only is it about, okay, how do we capture this and then share it um, outward after the fact, but how do we um, have a sense of togetherness? How do we have a sense of ambiance? Right. How right. do we have a sense of community? And so our, our graphic recorder is a way for us to not only, yeah, capture the stories and, and provide us with beautiful visuals to share that outwardly, but also, um, yeah, how, how do they help to help us to convey a sense of space when we're all, you know, floating little zoom faces. Exactly. Um, so I think that's a, that's a key role. And, and that really is looking at, you know, our, our graphic recorder, um, not as, you know, someone we're just hiring on, but someone we're really actively collaborating with in that process. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is fantastic. You know, listening to you, it's like you are really in dreamland doing a great uh, food storytelling experiences. This is amazing. You know, I'd love to participate in some of your events. Uh, one thing that I'm always curious also as part of the storytelling process is if you 
you know, thought about it when you developing those uh, food storytelling programs, the role of memories and emotions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, it's hard not to, particularly when you're talking about food storytelling, because it tends to be a pretty tender and emotional, emotional space for us. And um, a lot of things come up for people when they explore their relationship to food. Um, a lot of that has resulted in like racial reckonings. You know, I know for mm -hmm. myself, I'm, I'm mixed race and, and my reckoning with my relationship to food has a lot to do with, you know, how Japanese am I versus how white am I? Yeah. Um, and, and it's one of those places that I think feels a little bit more comforting and mm. um, supportive in that work because it, it food never really, it's, it's hard for food and food that you love to feel confrontational. You know, right. it, it can spark the curiosity and it can engage in that stuff. But why, you know, when we think about the power of food and story to transform culture, we're really honoring at that point that the reason why food and story have that incredible power is because it's really connected to us on a, on a deep heartfelt level. And yeah. that deep heartfelt is connected to memory. It's connected to family. It's connected to the deepest tap roots that Definitely. we have. Yeah. Um, and I think particularly that comes up, you know, often during the holiday season, um, folks focus a lot on what food means to their family or doesn't mean to their family. If they've food, yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, if they've lost connection to that or, um, or if it's a big part of their holiday experience, often around, you know, um, Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and um, Kwanzaa, all of those gatherings, that food is such a central pillar to that. And take for Thanksgiving, for example, not only is it uh, talking about maybe positive memories of, of food associations and, you know, cooking with family or, or going over to family friends' houses for long-term traditions. It's so deeply connected to memory because it's actually tethered to a false story about, you know, the birth of this nation and yeah. the erasure of, of, you know, indigenous genocide from the story of Thanksgiving. Right. And so there's, there's no deeper, um, more potent, representation of how entwined the stories of food are to memory is the idea that like that turkey on our table has literally shifted our collective memory of who we are as a country and you know that's a lot of power to put in a turkey yeah yeah that's for sure which brings me you know you know kind of personal question what is your favorite uh, childhood dish <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you primed me that you were going to be asking me this question. I got to say it's a hard one because it's like when you're a kid, you have, you know, I probably if you'd asked me when I was six, I'd say something like, oh, stealing the cream cheese out of the fridge is a pretty or, great Or you can choose your, your favorite comfort food today. That's yeah. fine too. I, I, I did think though about, you know, I would look forward to, uh, so I mentioned that I'm, I'm part Japanese and I would look forward to usually around New Year's every year, my, my family would host a big roll your own sushi. Uh -huh. And it was one of the few times when my mom would really commit to um, cooking a lot of Japanese dishes. And roll your own sushi is like a very home style sushi experience where we do like gourd strips and we'd have, oh. you know, shiso and we'd have a lot of um, cooked ingredients. Most people think of sushi as being, you know, raw fish. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the like farm home style um, is based and like, uh, like cooked burdock and carrot and those things. And I used to love 
um, roll your own sushi days and, and would look forward to them every year. Cause it was just like, it was such a celebratory gathering. And for my family, my extended family, when we come together, we always come together around a good meal. And it's always an opportunity for us to connect to, um, on my mom's side of the family to connect to our, our Japanese heritage. And I think that's um, a great example of that. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. I mean, it's, it's a great thing to have, uh, you know, this heritage, uh, you know, both on the Japanese side and, uh, you know, the American side and, and kind of boring from each, you know, and, and, and kind of learning how to appreciate food in a, in a whole different way. So that's fantastic. So we kind of been nearing the end of our chat and before I let you go, you know, one of the question I ask my guests is, what would you say would be your top three tips for marketers that want to kind of borrow some of the benefits of food storytelling to their work in their visual storytelling strategy? I guess I would say the first one is don't be afraid to be honest. Um, I worked previous real food, real stories for a coffee company called Wonder State Coffee and guided them through changing their name from a, the name of an appropriate indigenous nation, uh, mm -hmm. the Kekapu. And um, there's a lot of fear in reckoning with when you're wrong, um, but honest stories connect deeply and mm -hmm. you can carry people along in that process, even when it's a process of um, accountability. So I would say, don't, don't be afraid to be honest. Um, I would say always cite your sources. I think especially in visual storytelling spaces um, and, and the fact that we live in such a fast content world, there's so much consumption, there's such an urgency. Yeah. Um, and that can sometimes risk uh, appropriation happening in those spaces and, and can also dampen excitement around collaboration. So, hmm. so cite your sources and don't be afraid to collaborate because we all know that we get better together. And I think I alluded yeah. to this, that the third piece is don't be afraid of slow content. Slow burning content can have a huge impact. I know we're, we're, we're living in this fast content world, um, right. but you know, longer form engagement, or even if it's something short, but that um, sparks a sort of longer conversation internally. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of an artist that I love She's a comic artist, Madeline Jubilee Sato. Mm -hmm. She is a visual artist who's a comic artist, but she her comics are poems. Mm -hmm. And when you look at them, you have this experience of, okay, I know what I'm seeing, right? I'm seeing an orange and uh, you know plant and something else. But then she's overlaying on this, this very poetic you know, reflection on maybe like what is... The, the construct of the environment. And so my brain is processing it really fast, but I'm going to sit with that and it's going to like simmer for me and I'm going to marinate in it to use a lot of food metaphors um, for the rest of maybe not just that day, but for months. Um, and I think that's something that's really beautiful is to think about um, how to burn slow and to really like lay anchor in someone's, um, you know, being. I think that's yeah. a, a pretty, it's, it's, a, it's a lofty goal, but I think yeah. we can do it. No, for sure. No, I really like the, the third uh, example you gave because I think, you know, the taste for more and not just giving out uh, the whole farm or the whole story in this case is so critical. A lot of people tend to kind of, you know, 
give too much information and sometimes less is more. And you want to do really think about this, you know, even this podcast, you know, <laughs> to your point, you know, it's a slow, uh, I call it, you know, as part of a slow movement, slow cooking, you know, I, I actually right. bring guests only when I really find real interesting people with a really, you know, amazing contribution to, you know, the visual storytelling space I'm covering. So I do it only when I have this, uh, you know, opportunities. So today we had the, the great, uh, you know, chance to meet you today and you share with us so many great things about uh, food storytelling and, you know, your process, you know, the different characters, the different conflicts that you're trying to solve uh, using visual storytelling by overlaying food and stories. I, I know we could have continued talking for hours about this because, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg, but we need to uh, wrap up. And, but before we go, you know, if people have more questions for you, how can they contact you? Yeah, well, feel free to, you can always reach out to me um, directly. Uh, my email is shizue, S-H-I-Z-U-E at Real Food, Real Stories. And I also would love to invite your audience to beyond connecting with me, connect with our organization if any of this work resonates with you. Our story slam is coming up on March 25th, Recipes for Resilience, which is featuring stories by um, five food all-stars and unsung heroes as they share um, their reflections on the incredible year that we've had and what resilience means to them. And, and this is going to be a virtual event, right? Exactly. It's a virtual event. Um, you can find all the information on our website, realfoodrealstories.org. And 100% of the proceeds uh, will benefit food workers and change makers impacted by the pandemic and California wildfires. Thank you so much, Yuzu. This has been fantastic. You know, it's been... I learned so much uh, from you today, and I hope uh, my audience, uh, listeners and viewers, uh, also got the same kind of a wow effect, you know, from the amazing work you're doing in the food storytelling space. So until next time, you know, stay true to your goals and keep uh, safe and impactful. So thank you, everybody. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Keep those stories juicy. Yep, exactly. Visual Storytelling Today is recorded in Miami, Florida. The show is published exclusively by Visual Storytelling Institute. Learn more at visualstorytell.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes Store. Until next time, don't let your big story wait to be told.